Hi, everybody. Welcome to Vox Tablet. I'm your host, Sarah Ivry. Today, we're taking a look back at Israel's first statesman. When he was just 14, a boy in Poland by the name of David Grun founded his own Zionist youth group. Before long, this young man made his way to Palestine, where he eventually changed his name to David Ben-Gurion. Ben-Gurion, of course, was Israel's first prime minister and one of its founding fathers. Shimon Peres also served as a prime minister of Israel. He was the eighth person to do so, and he knew Ben-Gurion quite well. Their relationship was both a professional one and a friendship. Now Perez has written a biography of Ben-Gurion. It's not a traditional biography. It's the outcome of a series of conversations Perez had with the journalist David Landau about Ben-Gurion's life and his impact on history. The book is called Ben-Gurion, A Political Life. It's the latest edition from Next Book Press, the publishing arm related to Tablet Magazine. While we would, of course, love to have had both of the book's collaborators on the podcast, alas, Shimon Peres is unavailable, but we are nevertheless very happy to have David Landau, who writes for The Economist and is a former editor of Haaretz, with us. He's speaking to us today from his home in Israel. David Landau, welcome to Vox Tablet. Thank you very much. Before we do start talking about Ben-Gurion, I want to ask you about the process uh, for writing this book. This isn't the first time you've worked with Shimon Peres. You also collaborated with him on his own memoir back in 1996. Can you tell me, how did this new book come into being? Well, this was actually the uh, initiative of uh, Jonathan Rosen, the editor of the next book series, Jewish Encounters. Uh, I happened to meet him at a conference here in Jerusalem, and he told me that he would like Shimon Peres to be one of his authors and to write a book about his mentor, uh, David Ben-Gurion. And I said that I thought, given that Shimon Peres is now the president of Israel, he would need to do that with somebody else because um, he's got a full day's workload as president, but that I had cooperated with him in the past, as you say, a long time ago, And so I went to see him and suggested uh, the idea, and he immediately and with alacrity uh, agreed to do it uh, because he said he thought it was very important for him to put the record of David Ben-Gurion as he sees it uh, before the Jewish uh, reading public in Israel and in the diaspora. And he particularly said that he wanted young people for whom Ben-Gurion is a name out of history, not out of their own lives, to read about the founder of Israel through the eyes of the man who's now the president of Israel. Did he feel then that the portrayals of Ben-Gurion that have been uh, popular in recent years uh, needed rectifying in some way? I think he feels that um, Ben-Gurion is insufficiently remembered by the present generation of Israeli political leaders. That was not exactly articulated by uh, Perez in the course of our conversations, but it comes through between every line of that book. And what about, from your point of view, have you long had a special interest in Ben-Gurion and his life and in his work? Well, frankly, I've long had uh, interest in Shimon Perez, and I've... uh, been fortunate to be able to cover him from close up for decades. So I felt it was natural for uh, me to be involved in this collaboration, if indeed uh, Mr. Perez wanted to do it. Um, My own knowledge 
of Ben-Gurion and beyond that of any well-read member of the Israeli public probably stems from the fact that I'm engaged uh, myself on a major biography of Ariel Sharon, which does touch on, or more than touch on, uh, David Ben-Gurion, because Sharon, as a, a dashing young army officer, was um, particularly, I think, singled out by Ben-Gurion, um, he saw in him the sort of model, modern Israeli uh, fighting man. And so I felt that I came into this project, obviously with not, with not even a, a smidgen of the knowledge and intimate uh, uh, understanding that Perez has, but nevertheless not ignorant and able to hold my own in the conversations that we, that we proceeded to have and record. Let's talk about them both. They were both born in Poland. They both moved to what would become Israel as young men. Ben-Gurion, of course, made the journey in 1906. Perez arrived uh, in what would become Israel in 1934. They were about 40 years apart in age, if my math is correct. How exactly did they come to know one another so well? Ben-Gurion surrounded himself with bright young men. And Shimon Peres uh, was very much part of that coterie of a uh, few immediate, intimate uh, aides to the prime minister. Uh, the relationship began just before the creation of the state, when Peres was very active in one of the socialist youth movements here in Palestine. And um, he was seen as very much supportive of the Ben-Gurion line within his youth movement against, I think, the majority of young socialist Palestinian Jews at that time who were more attracted by the, if you like, the opposition within the, within the socialist movement. Now, th this was more than mere socialist ideological arguments. The issues at that time in the immediate period leading to the creation of the state, the issues were very, very deep and very, very emotive because Ben-Gurion found himself attacked, almost beleaguered by other politicians, uh, people who felt that they could not justify or could not support Ben-Gurion's fundamental decision to acquiesce in the partition of Palestine into two states, a Jewish state and an Arab state, as had been recommended by the United Nations, by the United Nations Commission, and ad as had been resolved by the United Nations General Assembly. And Shimon Peres, this young youth movement activist, came to his own independent conclusion that Ben-Gurion was right and the other socialist leaders were wrong, and he threw himself within his youth movement behind Ben-Gurion, and this came to the attention of Ben-Gurion. And that's how uh, the young Shimon Peres first came into the close coterie around Ben-Gurion. Okay, let's just back up for one moment, though. When Ben-Gurion first arrived in Jaffa in, in 1906, can you uh, give us a sense of what he would have found there? How developed was the country at that point? And uh, to what extent was there actually a nascent Jewish state? Well, when Ben-Gurion arrived here, there was next to nothing. I mean, there were a handful of Jewish agricultural settlements that had begun to be established uh, in the 1880s and 1890s. But we're really talking about a very minute project in its incipient dawn days. And Ben-Gurion really was one of the 
original founding handful of uh, idealistic young people who came mainly from Russia, and they came here in order to work the land and in order to set up kibbutzim. Ben-Gurion was involved in the very early uh, kibbutzim set up in the, in the north of the country around the uh, Sea of Galilee. And um, at that time, of course, Palestine was a, a rather out-of-the-way province of the Ottoman Empire. And Ben-Gurion, after a couple of years in the country, working as a, a basically as a Jewish peasant, which, which, which he saw as a very highly idealized form of, form of life, because he believed that the Zionist movement needs to settle the land. So he, he never, to his dying day, uh, belittled the role of, of, of agriculture, of the kibbutzim, etc. So he was one of these peasants, but he realized pretty quickly that his life and his uh, talents were cut out for more, if you like, than, than merely peasantry. And he uh, decided that uh, if he could, what he needed to do was to study the law in Constantinople, which, you know, in Istanbul, the, the capital mm-hmm. of, the, of the empire. And he thought that perhaps he could become a, a Turkish-trained uh, uh, lawyer. And in the fullness of time, he saw himself perhaps as a member of the Turkish parliament representing Palestine or representing the Jewish community in Palestine. And maybe in the fullness of time, he could be involved in that capacity in developing some kind of uh, political autonomy, uh, maybe. I mean, the dream of sovereignty or independence was so far off. So Ben-Gurion was looking at this problem, if you like, from a worm's eye view, and he felt that his contribution could be as uh, a, a Turkish-trained, uh, loyal citizen of the in Ottoman Empire representing the Jews of Palestine. That's quite a change from being an agricultural worker. <laughs> I mean, that's like from one extreme to the other. Yes, but he wasn't born as an agricultural worker. His father, in fact, back in Poland, was a sort of a lawyer. I mean, Ben-Gurion... He, he, he tried his best to be an agricultural worker, but he was a brilliant man with a brilliant mind. And um, at the end of the day, he recognized that for him to, to be an agricultural worker was, was in a way uh, incongruous. There was something anomalous in it. It was okay as long as he felt he was doing it for the movement, mm-hmm. for the Zionist uh, ideal. But if there were other people more suited perhaps to be peasants, then perhaps he could exercise his undoubted talents in a more cerebral direction. What was his position on the Arab population that was already living there as the Zionist aliyahs uh, and the movements from Europe, the successive waves as they started to arrive? Did he feel that there should be a kind of sense of coexistence? I know this was a matter of great debate among Zionist circles at that time. Ben Gurion was very quick. I think to realize the that the extent of the problem there are uh, in this book we recall an article that he wrote in a in a local Palestinian Jewish newspaper in 1910 on the problem of security for the uh, Jewish settlements that came under that came under attack from Arabs in their area so he was very much aware he wasn't starry-eyed at any point about the need 
to come to terms with the Palestinian population, Palestinian Arab population. Of course, there was not then a separate, if you like, Palestinian national movement per se. There were the very beginnings of Arab nationalism. I mean, the entire area, uh, the entire Arab Middle East was firmly under uh, various colonial uh, regimes. And uh, the idea of uh, independent Arab states was just beginning to to take off, get formulated in Damascus, Beirut, Cairo. And uh, Ben-Gurion, throughout his career, needed to wrestle and struggle with this, uh, if you like, concomitant, parallel, rival uh, nationalism, Arab nationalism vis-a-vis Jewish nationalism. And in our book, we chronicle some of the conversations that Ben-Gurion uh, had with Palestinian Arab leaders during the 1920s and particularly 1930s uh, on what he hoped, what he believed could be his vision of Palestine as a Jewish uh, political entity, as hopefully eventually a Jewish state, but with um, broad uh, autonomous rights for the Palestinian uh, Arab community. And he, he tried to persuade his Palestinian interlocutors that this vision would be to the benefit of both communities. I think he didn't get very far in persuading them because as, as Arab nationalism gathered steam, it saw itself increasingly um, pitted against Jewish Zionist nationalism. And uh, as, you, as you know, of course, the first round of violence occurred as early as 1921 when there was an outbreak of, of rioting, Arab rioting against the Jews of Palestine and against the British who were taking over then and setting up their mandate in Palestine. So when did Ben-Gurion uh, emerge as a leader as opposed to one figure among many potential leaders? Well, first of all, he had one phase that's partic- what I find particularly interesting, and it was the subject of some... I think some discourse between uh, Perez and me was that Ben-Gurion had to change his stripes, if you like, in a way. He had to shuck off his loyalty for the Ottoman Empire as the First World War progressed and the Ottomans were on the losing side, as it turned out, and were defeated uh, by the British. They were the, uh, the Ottomans were allied, as you know, with Germany. And the Zionist movement all over all over the world in Europe and America, and what was left of it in Palestine, a lot of the Jews of Palestine were thrown out of Palestine, including Ben Gurion. They were evicted by the Turkish regime from Palestine. Um, the, the Zionist movement had to switch sides, if you like, and line align themselves behind. Uh, Great Britain and the United States, and most especially after Great Britain issued the Balfour Declaration in 1917. And so Ben-Gurion also did this tergiversation. He actually spent uh, much of the war in America and then returned to Palestine right at the end of the war. By the time he got back to Palestine, the war was pretty much over, and General Allenby, the British commander, had conquered the whole of Palestine, and the British were moving to uh, set up their mandate over Palestine, and Ben-Gurion and his young socialist comrades were moving to set up the initial socialist Zionist institutions here in Palestine. At the early, at the beginning of the 20s, Ben-Gurion was involved in the creation of the Histadrut. The, the Histadrut was a sort of state in the making, or state within the state. It was the most powerful organ 
of of sort of semi-government, and Ben-Gurion headed the Histadrut right through its formative period. And that's how he first made uh, his name, if you like, as a political figure in the 1920s. There are a few points in the book when you and Shimon Peres break out of the kind of uh, regular biography format and you engage in in quite direct debate. One of the most heated debates is about uh, Ben-Gurion and his supporters' actions and priorities during the Second World War. Uh, I wonder if you can lay out uh, what the discussion was about and what is the criticism that you, uh, David, put forth to Shimon Peres about Ben-Gurion's position uh, regarding the Holocaust and the Jews in Europe. Yes, indeed. Well, this was... Uh, it- I think both of us saw this as a very focal point in the book, and we were both interested from our separate perspectives to leave this in, as you say, in a pristine question-and-answer format and let the reader get into the real interstices of our discussions. I mean, we had some very spirited exchanges over this very painful subject. I said nothing, I mean, I said nothing original. I just, I reflected a whole... uh, I think welter of literature, both in Israel and in the United States, which has analyzed critically uh, the role of organized Jewish leadership in America, and most especially of organized Zionist leadership in America and in Palestine. And at the head of that was the chairman of the Jewish agency at that time, David Ben-Gurion. The point of the criticism is that, uh, led by Ben-Gurion, the Zionists were more focused on the possibility of um, en- advancing and enhancing their Zionist agenda and achieving the Zionist goal of Jewish independence in Palestine at the end of the war, rather than, or instead of, so the critics would say, instead of focusing every possible energy and resource on saving Jewish lives from Hitler, from, from the death camps. And th- this, is the, this is the burden of the criticism, if you like, the accusation. I mean, I, there's nothing new there. And I put it, I, I, I feel quite strongly about that. And, I've, and I pretty much accept the, the critical scholarship that has evolved in, the, in, the, in recent decades. And I put all this to Shimon Peres, and he um, responded in a, in, a, in, a, in a poignantly, I think, authentic, honest, human, historic, Jewish way, which, however much I may disagree with it, I think the disagreement is unvarnished in the book, it's totally un, unpretentious. It is the honest truth of how he, and more importantly, Ben-Gurion and that generation viewed things, viewed, most importantly, their total impotence, their complete inability, as they saw it, to influence the dreadful juggernaut of Nazi uh, um, Holocaust, of Nazi slaughter of the Jewish people, even though Ben-Gurion played, as I say, leadership role in Palestinian Jewry and in the Zionist movement, when it came to the forces unleashed by the, by the World War, he felt totally 
incompetent, impotent, unable to exercise any serious influence on events. And um, I think Shimon Peres gives incredibly authentic expression to that subjective feeling, which I think Ben-Gurion and all his comrades in the leadership on both sides of the Atlantic, I mean, in American Jewish leadership too, essentially that was their feeling. And I was, I was frankly, to, to tell you the truth, I was quite troubled by this... Um, by this dialogue that developed between Perez and me. I mean, after all, this is, this is Perez's biography of Ben-Gurion, and why should I, why should I spoil things, with, so to speak, with, 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 with this criticism? And um, I was also unhappy, to tell you the truth, with um, Perez's response. And Jonathan, Jonathan uh, Rosen, the, the editor, uh, read through the raw transcript of our dialogues, and he was incredibly encouraging... Uh, he said, this is the most honest and authentic uh, exposition by President Perez, and we must put this before the reader because this is the real, this is the real thing, if you like, and therefore you shouldn't feel, you, David, shouldn't feel that Perez hasn't answered your criticism because these are his answers. These are his answers that he really feels in his heart on behalf of, if you like, on behalf of Ben-Gurion. And so I think that this dialogue... I mean, I don't want to sound immodest, but I think it, it does make a, it should make a contribution to call it Holocaust scholarship. Of course, it's not it's not directly the Holocaust; it's around the Holocaust. How the Jewish leadership, in this case, the Zionist leadership, viewed its itself and its ability or inability to influence events. The end of the war was, of course, obviously a great cause for celebration, uh, and. In its aftermath, Ben-Gurion had to brace for what he would imagine, and he imagined correctly, would be a very violent period in the new state. Uh, can you talk a little bit about his legacy from that period and with an eye a little bit towards his relationship with the religious leadership in what would soon become Israel? Well, first, I don't, I don't fully agree with your depiction of the end of the war as a cause of celebration, I think, for for us Jews, the end of the war was the ultimate uh, disaster. And as Perez explains, I think, again, very graphically and very convincingly, even though people knew on a certain level of knowledge during the war what was going on in Auschwitz, in the concentration camps, in the ghettos, they didn't really know. They didn't know in... In the deepest sense of knowledge, it was something so enormous and so unprecedented that they were incapable of assimilating it into their normal cerebral consciousness. And I think Shimon Peres, in this book, makes this point about his own young self regarding members of his own family, including his own grandfather who was burned alive by the Nazis, who played an important, pivotal role in his early life and education. They knew nothing. They heard that the Nazis were massacring Jews. They must have assumed that their own families were killed. And that, uh, were, but until the war ended and the full enormity of it was available in, in hard data, there was a dissonance in their minds. And I think it's important for us who are post-war, who didn't live through this period, I mean, you know, it's a long time ago. Shimon Peres is a very old man, and I think it's a great privilege for me to have been able to speak with him uh, on this level of honesty and to be able to portray uh, before the reading public this kind of reminiscence 
as I said, totally unvarnished and with with profound uh, sincerity and honesty. And so I think that that post-war period and the, the way Jewish people felt and the way Jewish leadership felt, and the way the Zionist movement felt about its destiny, now that a third of the Jewish people had been annihilated and that third represented more than uh, more than anything, the the people who were supposed in the Zionist plan to populate the the Jewish independent state in Palestine. It was the Jews of Russia and the Jews of Poland and the Jews of Romania, uh, uh, you know, who were going to be the the population of Palestine. Well, the Jews of Russia were now uh, imprisoned behind the Iron Curtain, and the Jews of the rest of Europe had all but been uh, annihilated, and that was the mindset. And I think Peres explains this so well in this book. That was the mindset that, above all else, brought Ben Gurion to his historic uh, decision at that time, which which we mentioned in this conversation, to accept and to insist upon the partition of Palestine and the immediate creation of a Jewish state, because he saw the two things as inextricably conditioned one on the other. If you wanted to set up a Jewish state in the year 1947-1948, you had to agree to the partition of Palestine as prescribed by the entire international community in the UN General Assembly. If you insisted on your original dream and goal of a Jewish state embracing the entire land of Palestine, you could keep insisting on it, but you wouldn't get it because the international community was not prepared to get, to give it to you. Do you see what I'm saying? And I, I think if you if you permit me, that the central message of this book from Shimon Peres' point of view is that this reality continues to exist to the present day. It is the essential, unchanging reality of the Zionist endeavor. And I think Peres sees the greatness of Ben-Gurion concentrated in that decision to forego the whole of Palestine in order to have a state, an independent Jewish state with open borders for all Jews on part of Palestine. So would you say that Ben-Gurion's greatest strength was his ability to be really a political realist to see what was doable immediately rather than hold out for something that may never come together. Yes, I think you've I think you've expressed it perfectly if you uh, permit me to say so and I think that this is what Perez himself stresses time after time in this book that Ben-Gurion's claim to greatness in his mind of course in Perez's mind Ben-Gurion is a very very great man. He puts him on on, on a par with the greatest uh, figures of the of 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 the century, you know, with uh, in his mind, uh, Ben Gurion is on a par with Churchill and De Gaulle as a great great statesman, and he sees his greatness in the ability to cut to the chase and to take the decisions and to prioritize the possible and the the feasible at the expense of the dreams that you can't really realize. And this is what, in, in Perez's uh, mind, and the way, this is the way he explains it in this book, this is what informed and motivated Ben-Gurion's decision-making domestically too, internally too, when at the, uh, in the very early formative period before and after the state was created, he uh, laid down what was to become the sort of compact 
uh, between church and state, or you know, more maybe call it synagogue and state in in, in Israel, in the, in the new state of Israel. And uh, Perez Perez was very instrumental in this, and he explains that this was the product of some very hard-headed political uh, compromising, if you like, or political uh, rail politic uh, by David Ben-Gurion, who needed to create a solid government, you know, and there were, the Zionist politics was always coalition politics. You always had to have allies, and Ben-Gurion uh, resolved right from the start that he wanted the uh, religious Zionists in alliance with him, and uh, that was the that was the basis for the compact that's been at the heart of Israeli synagogue state politics ever since. And again, I think that he describes these events from the forties and the fifties, but you can read between the lines, or at least I felt I was reading between the lines that he's saying things of moment, things of significance for our own time, for our own day, when we've got instead of uh, six hundred and fifty thousand uh, Jews. Uh, in Palestine, as there were then, there are you know six million Jews in 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 Israel today, <laughs> and they're still terribly uh, divided between themselves uh, along the s- very similar lines, you know, orthodox secular lines and nationalist uh, moderate lines. And Perez is in effect saying, I think, to the reader and to the people of Israel and to the American Jewish public, there are immutable truths about the Israeli condition. Those immutable truths were discerned by our great founding father, Ben-Gurion, almost two-thirds of a century ago, and he was right, and he remains right to the present day, and the message is very clear. David Landau, thank you so much for speaking with us. It was my pleasure. David Landau is a journalist. He spoke to us from his home in Israel. The book, Ben-Gurion, A Political Life, by Shimon Perez in conversation with David Landau, is just out now from Next Book Press. You can find out more information on our website, tabletmag.com. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Avery. Thank you so much for joining us. Please join us again next time.